Sometimes I go back through my old diaries and read stuff for a chuckle. Here's one I'll share. February 2nd, 1999. Lots of stuff going on at Sports Illustrated, most of it negative. A few days ago, a memo came around with a long litany of financial restrictions. For now on, no more free cable. No $50 per day meal money. You have to expense every meal. And American Express must be used for all trips. It's really getting bad. Jesus Christ. Bad was, by 2021 standards, really, really good. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers, Sling and Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's guest is Jasmine Sawney, the outgoing editor-in-chief of The Panther, Chapman University's weekly student newspaper. And I thought it'd be cool to discuss a year of running a newspaper during a pandemic, the challenges, the isolation, the endless Zoom hours. This is episode number 208, Let's sing some yang. Dad, your podcast sucks. You're losing your hair. All right, Jasmine, you attend Chapman University out here in Orange, California. I've been the newspaper advisor, the student newspaper advisor. This was my fourth year doing it. And you had a really, really, really weird year because it was all virtual. It was all online. Do you look back now that the paper just wrapped for the final time and think this was a really great year or this was a really awful year? I would say overall, this has been a really great year, given the circumstance. The year itself was horrible. (laughs) The people in our staff and the work that we were able to put out, I feel, has transcended anything that we thought was possible. So with that, I feel like we had a great year. You were elected editor and the end of last year was being done virtual. There was another editor, Lou, and she was the editor and it was done online. Did you, when you were elected editor, did did you think, I'm going to be online all year? Or did you kind of assume after a while, everyone would be back and be meeting in person? Definitely thought everything was going to be back in person. Chapman was saying a lot of things about coming back. And then as we were approaching August, they kept pushing back the deadline to solidify whether whether or not we would be back in person. And so that was when I had to make the decision, are we going to remain online or are we going to remain on print? And after checking in with different writers, checking in with different editors, It seemed most people were comfortable, more comfortable staying online. And just given the times, I didn't want to pin a student or pin, you know, one of our staff members in a corner and have to make them come to campus. So I just decided we were going to switch to online indefinitely. I did not know, you know, if it would last the entire academic year, which it ended up happening. So it's funny because the other day, a few days ago, you had a... um end of the year, sort of little pizza picnic on the lawn by Chapman. You were nice enough to invite me. And you and uh, the number two editor, Luca, came a little late because you picked up pizzas. And everyone was sitting around. When I showed up, everyone was sitting around very quietly. And it kind of occurred to me that people, and that people were wearing masks at the beginning. And it occurred to me, nobody, not nobody, but a lot of the people didn't know each other because they've only Mm -hmm. been on screens. And I actually said, I said it, under the illusion of it was for me, but I kind of, for everyone, I was like, can everyone go around? Cause I don't recognize everyone. Can everyone introduce themselves? Yeah. And people started laughing cause they didn't know who, he, they didn't recognize each other. They didn't know who they were. What were the major complications of running an online, a newspaper online via Zoom? A lot of it was burnout. We're on Zoom 24 seven taking classes. Um, at the beginning of the semester, it wasn't as much, but then as you kept going, you would see more and more people turn off their cameras or, 
whenever we would have um, editorial discussions, less people would pitch in, less people would talk. And so what I tried to do was kind of just really stimulate conversation and let everyone know, like, this is your work environment. Yes. But at the same time, like we're collectively coming together to put out issue after issue that we love, that we're putting our effort in, that we can see ourselves impacting our community. Um, And so I think after I started doing more of what we call Panther Fridays, which is kind of just hangout sessions that we have on Fridays where I would just uh, stream on my laptop, the game Jackbox. And we would just kind of just be college kids. You know, we haven't been able to do that all year. And when you're put into an environment where like right now I'm looking at you through a screen, we could have been doing this in person, but you know, these are the situations that we have. I try to make the most of it. And we've been able to build a really good camaraderie among our staff. And I feel like that's, you can actually visually see that through our work. I feel like it's gotten better and better over the course of the academic year. And I think that just speaks to how much, at least with our editorial board, we were were able to come together. On a personal level, do you feel like you were robbed of a senior year of college? I'm taking things off of my walls and I feel sort of empty about the whole process. Uh, Everyone knows that college is supposed to be, quote, the best four years of your life. Obviously, that hasn't been the case for me. I lost a year and a half worth of education. And further, I was studying abroad in London when everything happened. So it was just a weird shift because I would come back when, right when I came back home to America, I would have to attend 4 a.m. Zoom classes for the time zone difference. And then after that, it was four months of nothing and then jumping right back onto the screen. And I probably have a circle of around four to five friends. Um, so I don't see many people and I'm really cautious because my parents are older. So I don't want to get them sick, even if they get the vaccine. So it's just that whole process of frat parties and, you know, I've never been to a club or a bar. Like I called it a club because that's how naive I am. You know, Um, I'm about to turn 22 and the senior year experience definitely hasn't been what I thought it was, but we make the most of it. I actually feel like crying hearing you say this. It actually breaks my heart. It really does break my heart. Have you had moments where your heart is just broken over this all? Uh, I've had moments when I'm sitting in the corner of my room and just sitting to ground myself and to revel in everything that's going on, but also to understand everything that's going on and know that regardless of my situation, this is how it has to be. And I'm blessed to have a roof over my head. I'm blessed to be able to attend Chapman University. I'm blessed to have wonderful staff among both the Panther Student Newspaper and Chapman News, our broadcast side. It's it's, it's, it's what's happening right now. There's nothing I can do about it. And I'm just really lucky to have this job that I'm about to go into after graduation carry me through everything that I've worked toward. It's paid off. So you were in London and they're like, mm-hmm. you're all going home. It's 3 a.m. in the morning, the night after Trump declared that this was a national emergency. Okay. And I was asleep. My roommates were asleep. My phone was blaring. Things were going off. Phone, phone was ringing. And my roommate, who doesn't live in my room, she barges in and she's like, guys, I have my flight, flight booked in four hours. And we're like, whoa, what's going on? What's going on? And so we're all answering calls from our parents. Everyone's crying. Everyone's scared that we can't come back because, you know, Donald Trump started then uh, saying he'll restrict, you know, the amount of countries people from other countries that can come back into America. 
And by 24 hours after that, the next 24 hours, half of the students who were studying abroad in my apartment, in my flat, were gone. How long had you been there for? I came on January 12th. Trump announced it in March. So I think about two months. Have you been able to see or are you able to monitor as this has all been going on and as you've been sort of heading a staff of student journalists, um, the mental health of your of your staff? Like, can you see the lockdown and COVID having an impact on the sort of stability of your students? There are times when we're on Zoom and I can just tell I can just tell someone's not having a good day. Um, there's been times where I don't have good days, but what I try to do to mitigate the stressors and promote a welcoming environment during our meetings is to be that happy face, is to take time right before meeting. Don't go straight into work. Be like, hey, how are you doing? What are your plans for this weekend? What did you do today that was great? Sometimes I'd go around the room and I'd be like, Positivity of the day. I would popcorn around people and ask them, what's your positive takeaway from today? And it's cheesy. It sounds like an icebreaker type of thing that you would see at orientation. You know, everyone hates it. But at the same time, it really just lets everyone take a step back from everything that we're doing and just understand that we're all here for each other and then go right back into this is our paper. This is what we're proud of. How can we make it better and go from there? You had a couple of interesting sort of things go down this year, even though you weren't on campus. And I thought the most interesting story you guys covered this year was uh, John Eastman, who was a Chapman professor. And he also was the guy who um, was one of the major players in the Trump, you know, spreading these sort of misinformation about the Trump uh, election lie. And you guys wrote an editorial February 7th, 2021. And the headline was the only fraud is John Eastman. And you guys, you spared no words for John Eastman. I kind of felt like you guys were genuinely offended and almost a little bit worried that this guy, people think this guy's Chapman, like this guy's Chapman. What was the approach to covering him and to covering sort of his antics? The approach to covering him was to take it from a number of different angles. Obviously, the general hard news angle, what's happening. Um, and then when everything about John Eastman was breaking, it was during Thanksgiving break. I went home back to Dallas, Texas, obviously to celebrate with my family, the holidays. And my friends from Texas told me, don't you go to Chapman University? I'm hearing some things about this guy, John Eastman. Who's that? And that just blew my mind. Obviously, this guy is making national news with the Kamala Harris um, birtherist opinion, and now this. And so I started talking to my staff writers, like, how, what's going on in your families? What are, what are people talking about? And everyone's like, I'm worried that this is going to negatively impact my applications for internships or for jobs post-graduation. So then we started taking that angle of how this is deeply affecting not only the university, but the university students. And further with professors too, everyone was worried about especially in the political science department, um, Dr. Lori Cox Hahn, an American presidency scholar, had told me that this is negatively impacting all the professor's research because it's now tied to former professor John Eastman's rhetoric. 
So we started taking on that angle of this isn't just him. This is the university. And then in my um, one of my articles that I wrote about John Eastman, that it was titled, this is not who we are quote. This is not who we are. Um, former professor, you know, John Eastman, yada, yada, yada. Um, so that's kind of the angle that I took that I felt more significantly impacted our community and influenced everything that was going on and really spoke to the true mood that was happening across campus. Now he reached out to write something for you guys, correct? Yes. He wrote one opinion um, for us. Do you remember that, Jeff? <laughs> well, because I remember I was I was trying to lead you on a little. It was um, didn't he send in like five thousand words or some crazy long essay? Yeah, it was it was about I think I put it onto Word. It was like five pages, but it was ten size ten font. And I talked to him and I was I said, you know, our 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 opinion word count is 600, 650 maximum. And he's like, oh, that won't do. That won't do. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, if you want to be true crusaders of the First Amendment, freedom of press, you know, you wouldn't reduce my voice or something. And so at the time I was like, I mean, I don't care what you think. <laughs> you don't affect me. You're, what you're saying is, you know, whatever. Um, but I thought it was important at the time to get his thoughts across because at that time he hadn't spoke at the January 6th insurrection next to Rudy Giuliani. He hadn't um, stimulated so much fear within the student community and the faculty community about how this would impact them. So I just thought it was interesting to see what his perspective is and actually help, you know, give a, a bigger platform to voice that. So we ended up running that opinion. It received a lot of interaction on social media talking about how ridiculous he is, how Chapman should be ashamed of themselves, so on and so forth. And then he reached out to us again to ask to do another opinion about why he's leaving Chapman University and why there's cancel culture at Chapman University. And I said, sure, you can write this piece, but currently we are off. We are, it's winter break. You can get back to us after. And obviously I could have gone through with the opinion and worked with him to get it up. But I felt for, like you mentioned before, for the mental health of our staff and just burnout from news like this, we all decided, I reached out to Luca, who is our managing editor. We all collectively decided that this is something we need to take a step back from and take time with our families during everything. So we decided to do that. And then when we came back from winter break, we released a article on the timeline of John Eastman at Chapman which I think really, really, really helped condense and make the whole situation in a little, in a little, a little bow. We wrapped it up all nicely, excuse me, as well. So as the advisor, and I always say this because it's clear, it's not my mm -hmm. newspaper. And I think I, I always say like, it's not my paper. I give you advice. I give you, I answer questions. I critique articles, but it's not my place to be editor. I, I always think that's really important. The only thing I disagreed with you, I wouldn't have run 5,000 words from John Eastman. Like I just think yeah. like, Cause it's like, then you're handing over control to this guy. And I think like, look, buddy, we can give you a thousand words. We can extend a thousand words to you. We're happy to cut it down for you. We're not giving you 5,000 words. That's ridiculous. Also, it's yeah. not like it was like Gandhi. It was John Eastman. Like you, just, <laughs> you really deserve the, I don't know. But on the other hand, I understand it. And it got good, good, uh, good numbers. And now that you're a sort of in a way ex student, I mean, you're going through finals right now. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the university handled it well or poorly? I think the university is always on damage control mode. 
They don't want to offend their conservative donors, which is what a majority of their donors politically align with. But they also don't want to offend their very liberal campus community. So they were just taking the approach of, I don't even think they said we don't support what's going on. They just said, we do not, John Eastman does not represent us. We do not represent John Eastman. Everything that he does is separate from us. So then you were seeing protests like Black Student Union protesting um, the weekend before the fall semester started saying we demand a greater administrative response. Right. And it just never came. Chapman is always on damage control, even with them now mandating the COVID-19 vaccine. They're offering um, a declination form if you don't want to do it. They're just saying, we highly recommend, but you don't have to. You can come back next year and fill out a form saying, I don't want to take the vaccine and they'll let yes. you on campus. Yes, you, but you just have to get tested twice a week. That's it. Right now it's once a week. You wrote a really interesting piece, Hunting and Beach White Lives Matter rally outnumbered mm-hmm. by counter protests. Uh, you attended the rally. Yes. I don't know. Young journalist starting out in this world. Uh, what was that like for you? We didn't know until the day of that we were going to cover it. I texted Luke Evans, who's our managing editor, and I said, there's a rally today. Do you want to go? Um, because at that point, we didn't know anything other than that the weekend before there was KKK rhetoric posted around Huntington Beach. And they mentioned this date. And so I told Luke, I was like, I know we're copy editing stories. It was on Sunday, but let's check it out. Let's just see what's going on. Let's see how many people are showing up, so on and so forth. So we drive over and at the beginning, it's just, they were kind of split on either side of the street, the main street on Huntington that goes down and Huntington Beach Pier is right there. So on the pier side was the anti-White Lives Matter protesters that came earlier in the day to just talk about everything happening. They had a podium, so on and so forth. And then later in the day is when the White Lives Matter people kind of showed up on the opposite side of the street. So my reflections from the event were that it definitely wasn't as chaotic or as hostile as I thought it would be. Some people definitely got injured. Police definitely arrested a number of people but I had anticipated something a lot more heated and a lot more tense between both sides. So personally, I, I'm not afraid to cover a protest. I feel like I, I feel like we did a pretty good job of covering that. Um, but the angle that when we got there, the approach wasn't that a white lives matter protest happened. It was more of a scheduled white lives matter protest was outnumbered, far outnumbered by the counter protesters. So we thought, you know, journalistic ethics wise, we need to cover the actual situation of the story rather than all these other news outlets saying, you know, white lives matter protests, blah, 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 blah. You're like, no, there was only like what five guys <laughs> that were, that were actually supporting um, white lives matter. It was a very surreal experience for me because I would read about these things, you know, as someone who reads the news, online or in broadcast stories, but I never actually got to experience it myself. So when I got there, it was just like, how much can I get? It was just crazy. Right. When we left, I remember Luca and I were just sitting in the car and we just turned on Taylor Swift and we were like, let's just take a step back from everything that just happened and just sit. I don't think Luca and I have ever not talked for so long. We were just sitting there five minutes, just looking at the road and just listening to Taylor Swift. Is there a part of you that was just happy to be outside of your apartment? And it's like, 
eh, why lives matter? I don't care. I just want to leave my apartment. Jeff, let me tell you something. <laughs> I probably get out of my house three times a week, whether it be for gas, groceries, or maybe one hangout session with one of my close friends. Yeah. I was very happy to leave my house. Right. <laughs> I'm locked up in here all day, like a little princess in a, in a tower, you know? Take me out to a protest every now and then. I'm down. Before we continue with Two Riders Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman. I'm here with my son Emmett. And I don't know, I've kind of noticed something different about you in the year and a half since the pandemic started. I don't know what you're talking about. I can't put my finger on it, but you just seem kind of different. I got a haircut. No, that's not it. New shoes? I don't, I don't think so. Oh, I know what it must be. I went to 503-sports.com and ordered a really cool Kelvin Bryant Stars jersey. I thought it was time to change my wardrobe. Time to rearrange. I guess that's it. You guys had an interesting story that happened this year. And I'm, this is not a criticism, but I'm going to be honest in my opinion, okay? Of course. Okay. There was a shooting in Orange this year uh, in April where four people died. It was an apartment complex uh, relatively close to the where you guys are. I felt like you guys didn't quite know how to cover it. Like I, I felt like, I think these are stories that take a little bit of experience to cover really well, where, you know, detectives and you know how to sneak into a building and you know how to get neighbors on the phone. Am I, am I, now that we're looking back a little, am I wrong that maybe in this one story, you guys were a tiny bit overmatched? Not that you did anything wrong, but it wasn't really a great, it wasn't like you covered it amazingly. It was just like, Hey, you kind of covered the facts. Is that harsh? No, I don't think it's harsh. I mean, we're a college newspaper, so I totally agree with you that our skill sets are not to the same level as, you know, reputable published journalists. Um, we did. So after the um, mass shooting in Orange happened, um, I did the basic hard news angle. And then the weekend after we had, I believe, two stories. I actually want to pull it up because I don't want to be wrong. But... Angelina Hicks, who, as you know, is our politics editor. A future super duper star, in my opinion. She's just come out and she's been amazing. So after the mass shooting in Orange, we released three different articles. One of them is titled Witnesses, Community Members Reflect on Mass Shootings. Uh, one of them is Orange Community Mourns Victims, Donates to Families. In that article, we actually spoke to a friend of one of the deceased victims, um, and then the third one was Orange Police Department withholds evidence of Orange shooting. Right now, at least they're doing this because they don't want to. They, uh, the district attorney, Todd Spitzer, believes it might impact the result of the investigation if, we, if they release information. But definitely at the time, we did not cover it as well as we could have. But in the weeks following, we tried to still hold on to, you know, because there's still so many unanswered questions and so many dialogues that deserve to be heard and and shared with the rest of our community. And so we tried to still conduct some uh, articles on this topic after. One thing that's interesting about advising a student paper, which I never thought of until I started advising student newspapers, is um, you want to advise students how to cover a story, but you don't want to get them killed. So like, you know, as you know, uh, like I've knocked on a lot of strange doors in my career mm -hmm. and I've definitely put myself in some situations that are not particularly safe. And that is my sort of impulse on how, how to cover stuff. However, like my first instinct on that story 
as a guy thinking, how would I cover this? So I'm finding a way in that building and I know it's going to be hard. I'm going to find a way in that building and I'm going to find a way, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to play all the English, blah, blah, blah. But I can't tell a fucking 20 year old student to sneak into a guarded building and start knocking on doors. So it is a little bit unfair to be critical of it. You know, it's not really a fair criticism. I think you guys. It's good advice. It's good advice. It gets you in the right headspace. This, this is what you should do. I remember you texted me and you were like, hey, are you guys going? To this? You texted me and Luca and you said, hey, are you guys going? And at the time, you know, everything at Echo Park happened where police were unfairly arresting journalists and uh, being aggressive and so on and so forth. So I was a little bit nervous about the whole situation. But luckily, Luca Evans ended up, you know, driving over there and just taking a few pictures. And um, he attended the press conference in person while I was watching the press conference in my apartment live. So we were going back and forth between the whole situation. But no, all your advice is, is welcomed. It's always right. It's not always right. I assure you, it's not always right. Sometimes it's always right. I would say 95%, it's always right. And we value it, so. One of my favorite sort of stories of the year, it just made me laugh because there was so college newspaper in a good way, (laughs) is uh, you had a, uh, these super spreader events where people are hosting parties and then posting the parties online via Instagram and Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all these images and you can see faces of students and they're all, none of them wearing masks and they're drinking and blah, blah, blah. Is it at all difficult or challenging or is there some debate when you're writing about fellow students and sort of exposing them for being idiots? Is there a certain, is there a debate that has to take place whether, I know this guy's being an idiot, but he's only a 19 year old college kid. And is this going to get this kid in trouble or is that a non-factor? Are you just reporting the news? I don't think it's a factor. There's a global pandemic going on. You know what you're getting yourself into. Obviously, if I was just someone roped into that party and I was I was just there and then people were reporting on me, that's a different story. But one of the students that we ended up highlighting, his name is Harry Raftis. Um, and I'm highlighting him here right now. Um, but his name is Harry Raftis and he has a TikTok dedicated to him just drinking and partying. Um, and a separate article. Don't we all? Don't we all, Jeff? Exactly. I just want to say you can go to my uh, my Instagram feed. Jeff is drunk. Jeff be drunk. It's it's big. Are you joking? Yes, I'm joking. Your dad jokes have just gone gone too far. I believe them so much at this point. But anyway, I mean, they're students that what they're doing is idiotic, but what they're doing negatively impacts the entire university, especially if these are the people that are going to be coming and sitting right next to you in class. If they are truly missing the in-person interaction, which we all do, but they're still going ahead and partying. What, what, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to feel empathy for you? Right. I'm just, I, it wasn't like we were negatively attacking any specific student. It was more about the general overall, this is your fraternity and your fraternity is now suspended because of the actions that you've done. And to talking to the people who are angered by it and talking to the people who were supporting it. Are you sad this is all over or are you just ready to be done with this? Uh, I had a FaceTime with my mom yesterday and she asked me the same thing. I think I am. I'm upset that it's ending, but I'm very excited for my future. I feel like everything at the Panther has given me the opportunity to experiment, the opportunity Opportunity to take take those risks that I not necessarily would do in, in in a really pressurized environment, and just being the editor in chief of the Panther, I feel has given me so much invaluable experience that I can take with me 
to my future career. It's sad that I'm leaving, but I'm very happy given everything that I've learned from my time at Chapman University, at the Panther newspaper, at Chapman News. So it's a dual, it's a dual feeling. It's weird, but I'm ready. Do you, do you feel like most of the, um, I mean, you're surrounded by aspiring journalists or at least people who are practicing sort of journalism in college. Um, you guys have also come along in the era of hashtag fake news, of a weird social media landscape, of speed trumping, oftentimes trumping accuracy, you know, like just this weird period of news with really biased news networks and this idea that hot takes are more important than proper narratives, on and on and on and on. Um, I don't know, do you and your peers want to be journalists? Like, is it is it like I knew when I was coming out of college, I wanted to be a journalist in the worst possible way. I just, all I wanted to do was be a journalist. Do you feel like you and yours have that? Or is it a little more like, maybe we want to be a journalist? I view it less as I want to be a journalist and look at it more as I want to be a storyteller. I want to be able to elevate communities who otherwise wouldn't have that platform. I want to be an authority checker. I want to serve as that community member that connect that connects the general public to whatever source of information is difficult to digest. So all of those together make up a storyteller rather than the perceived image of a journalist who is just trying to clickbait or who is being biased or who is just trying to satisfy their viewers with confirmation bias. That's not real journalism. Is that how people view journalism right now? That actually breaks my heart that you just said that. Like I view myself as a journalist and I don't view myself as any of those things. Like, and I don't view most of my peers who I'm close with and respect. Do you feel like that's how people view journalists in 2021? I think that's how people are starting to view journalists, unfortunately. Yeah. What a bummer. Yeah. Wow. That's grim. Um, (laughs) Damn you, Jasmine. Um, All right. Last question. You will be leaving lovely Southern California to be moving to a very humid mosquito infested Tampa, Florida to work in TV news. All right. How'd you land the gig and what's the gig? I landed the gig by being connected by one of my professors at Chapman university. She is my, one of my mentors. She's originally from Syracuse university. And she told me a lot about the Tegna producer residence program. It's both a program and a full-time job. The first few weeks involve tons of training involves them basically conforming you to how they do news and to really prepare you for um, jumping into a producer role in the real world, I guess you could say. So with my producer and residence job that I'm going to be starting on June 28th at 10 Tampa Bay. They will be training me for the first few weeks and then putting me into a show. Uh, they haven't decided which yet. And I'm basically going to be serving as a assistant producer at the beginning. And then they're going to be giving me more roles as the uh, job progresses. And as I'm, as I'm stationed there. So I'm very excited, uh, very blessed out of the, there was, I believe there was around 20 different stations that I could have applied for. And I just, after doing my interviews, I listed my top five and I actually got my first choice um, in Tampa, which is a number 13 station out of, I don't know, I believe there's 210. That's insane. Already starting in a top 15 market. So 
I'm very looking forward to moving over there. And while you do say it's mosquito infested, it's just like my hometown of Dallas, Texas, with humidity and everything. The only difference is the hurricanes, but I won't think about that. You know, going from tornadoes to hurricanes, same thing in my head. When I used to be a baseball writer for spring training, we would actually rent a condo for all of spring training in Tampa, and that would be our base. And we were right down the street, right down the street from two things, a red lobster and a strip club. You would see all the baseball player cars in the parking lot, mm-hmm. strip club. So you knew where the ball players were. I was at the strip club. And much like your, your hometown of Dallas and also your state of Texas, I would say Florida and Texas have to be one and two. And I don't know in which order for strip clubs per capita. And, uh, oh, Lordy. but, but also a uh, beautiful neck of the woods. And like, uh, that's a cool, you've never been to Tampa. I've never been to Tampa. I've been to Disney world. That's it. Now, I'm at, wait, I'll end with this. Like, um, Cause I remember I graduated from college and about five days later, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to start my job. Right. Yeah, I drove down crazy. to Tennessee. My dad drove down with me. And I just remember this feeling that it's very hard to recapture of like embarking on this adventure and mm-hmm. your life has been this your whole, even when you're in college, you're still, your parents are still kind of there hovering and there's a control cause you're in college. Mm-hmm. And then there's this thing, there's this moment where you're just like set free and it's official and you're flying off. And it's a really, really yeah. exciting moment in a life. I hope you're starting to feel that. Are you starting to feel that a little bit? I think after this week, I will start to feel that. I was, I was thinking about it a little bit. I was like, no, 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 no. Throw it away. Throw it away. Don't think about it right now. <laughs> right. Come, let me circle back in like a week. Um, but those, that exactly what you were describing has, has kind of crept into my head every now and then. And I don't even know how to describe it right now. Like I'm speechless because this entire time, like you mentioned, my parents have been there. Um, I'm living in Orange County right now, but one of my parents is in San Diego County, the others in, in Dallas. And so there's not much, I don't really see them as often, but when I moved to Tampa, that's not like I can just drive 40 minutes down to San Diego and say, Hey, to my mother, right. I'm going to be in a completely different state. And I asserted, I was very firm with my parents. It's like, you are not paying for my rent. You are not doing it. I am going to be sustaining myself. I would appreciate some help with my phone plan, but that is it. Right. Um, and if you want to send me some gift so cards, that's fine, but that's it. Yes. Like if you would like to send me a Chili's gift card or In-N-Out gift card, I will not say, wait, does, does, does Florida have In-N-Out? Florida does not, but I can tell you there are many Chili's in Florida. Of course. Chili's, Chili's is my number one go-to restaurant. You will not be lacking for chain restaurants in Tampa, Florida. You do not have to worry. <laughs> I feel like it's just like Texas. I feel like it's just like Dallas chain, all chain. I, I just want to say, Jasmine, I told you this. Like I, I think you've done a spectacular job. Like I think you've been great. Thank and you. I knew you'd been around, but I didn't know that much about you heading into this year. And yeah. you were kind of a quiet presence and when you got the job as editor, I was like, I don't know, maybe she'll be good. I have no idea. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I think you've been great. I think you've handled this with a real professionalism and you've Thank you. very positive, very positive. Even when I know you weren't always feeling as positive as you were letting on, you, you did it very well. I mean, you're going to be telling your kids one day about this shitty fucked up year of college, <laughs> but you're also going to have these feelings of accomplishment and that you mm-hmm. did some real, some real good. So I, uh, and I'm going to miss you personally. Like I've really enjoyed working with you. I really am. And I've enjoyed seeing you every week. And I think you're a genuinely good person. And I, uh, yeah, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. 
No, thank you so much, Jeff. Whenever, when I was announced editor in chief, I immediately knew I need to reach out to you because you've, you've helped us so much ever since I was a freshman on the Panther staff and you first came in. I was, I was terrified of you at the beginning. Nice. Um, and I think I've told you this. I was really, I was really intimidated by you because you just, you collected yourself and you, you knew the right angle 95% of the time that we needed to take. And I'm so lucky, you know, we've been able to get closer and you've been able to be more honest and upfront with me about how we can develop the Panther newspaper. So thank you so much. Do you think, um, do you think some of the students are intimidated by me? Yeah. I want to thank today's guest, Jasmine Sawney, for joining me on Two Writers Slinging Yang. You can follow Jasmine on Twitter at Jasmine Sawney, and that's J-A-S-M-I-N-S-A-N-I, and read her work in the Chapman Panther and at jasminesawney.com. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Writers Slinging Yang, please consider going to the vehicle of your choice and giving the show a nice review. I make no money for doing this. It's all about word of mouth. Music is by the fantastic MC Whiteow. Thanks again for joining me, and remember... Keep writing.